Thanks, Josh, once again for leading us in worship. Isn't it always good to have the kids involved in the service? And just as Lockie was up here and, and leading us in the call to worship, I just wanted to speak to the church and say that you guys are investing in the children that are here today. You're allowing them uh, to develop in their understanding and, and just want to thank you from the depth of my heart to this church to say thank you for investing in our children and allowing them to minister to us. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and I, I just, my heart really goes out. It's awesome to see them. And I was going to say, I look forward to the day when they can minister to us and stand up here. But do you know what? Because of you guys, that's happening today. That's happening now. And it's just fantastic to see a church so willing to back the kids and to allow them to do that. So thank you so much for that. Uh, it's so good. Why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for the people who are in this church, for their heart, for their desire for you. I want to thank you that they have so diligently given to this church and that they're investing not only in myself and everyone here, but especially the youth, especially the children, especially the next generation. And Lord, I want to pray for that generation. I want to pray for the kids who are here now. I thank you that they are going to be ministers of your gospel. I thank you that they are going to see miracles happen in their lives and through them because they will stand upon the faith that this church has built, that they will stand upon the launch pad that this church has enabled them to have. And so, Father, bless those children, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's very exciting to be up here again on this uh, beautiful, cold and wintry morning. Uh, it's, there's no better place, and I'm, I'm actually hoping that as you hear the word of God, that it will be warmth to your souls uh, as you sit here. And, and we thank you uh, for the heaters that have been turned on. So whoever gets here early and turns the heaters on uh, to warm us up, we thank you very much. This is the third in the series of Colossians. I, the more I delve into Colossians, the more I love Colossians. It's always been a book that I, I've absolutely loved. Uh, but through the opportunity to preach here and, and work through the book of Colossians, it, it's coming alive in greater depths and greater detail to me. And uh, I hope that is true also for you. So today we're going to be looking at Colossians uh, 1, 13 to about 23. But before we get there, remember Colossians is a, book, is a letter that Paul wrote and it's got some of the most lofty language describing who Jesus is and we're going to explore some of that today and uh, I'm really excited by it so let's get into Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 13 actually we're going to start at verse 12 a little bit of context giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light so from here we get an understanding that there is an inheritance that has been given to us in Jesus Christ an inheritance given to us um, in the, for the saints who are in the light. And that, that light is important. That the inheritance is found in the light. Because verse 13 says this, it says, he has, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. You see, our inheritance is in the light. And he, and, and we need to know who the he is, he has brought redemption or has delivered us from the power of darkness. 
Let's just stop there and understand a couple of things. One, and before I do number one, remember the illustration that I've often used about the prison of sin and the resort of righteousness? How before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were stuck in this prison of sin. But the minute we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he delivered us from that prison and relocated us into the resort of righteousness. When we were in the prison of sin, there was nothing that we could do to get out of that. That was our physical location. Uh, sin is often described as a noun in Romans. And so we were stuck there in that place. But through faith in Jesus Christ, he translocates us to the resort of righteousness. And when we were in that sin, in that prison of sin, the, the commander, the one who oversees that prison has all authority over us. The prison warden has all authority over us. And here in verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. When we were in that physical location of the prison of sin, we were under the authority of the darkness, under, their, under the power and authority of the darkness. Yet, yeah? but Jesus Christ has delivered us from that. So we need to remember two things. One, there is a power in the kingdom of darkness. And when you were in the kingdom of darkness, while your minds were still wicked and set against the Father, he had power and authority over you. But the minute that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he conveyed you into the kingdom of his son, of his life, of his love, he delivered you out of that kingdom of darkness and therefore the kingdom of darkness, the power of darkness has no authority or any power over you anymore. That's good news, isn't it? So there is power in the kingdom of darkness. The, the kingdom of darkness has authority over those who are in it, but you, in Jesus Christ, no longer believe, belong to the kingdom of darkness because he has delivered you from that. He has delivered you from that and placed you into the kingdom of his son, of his love. Verse 13 expresses it and says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Of his love. The kingdom that we now find ourselves in is, is actually a kingdom of love. You and I are surrounded by his love. You and I belong to a kingdom which is saturated with his love for you. There is nothing you can do that will diminish his love that he has for you. There is nothing that you can do because his kingdom is made up of love. I was hearing a story of someone just recently and they were talking about how much they love God. I just love God so much. And it's a, probably a phrase that you've heard lots of people talk about. I just love God so much. Do you know what? It does not matter how much you love God does not matter how much you try and love God. What truly matters is that you recognize how much God loves you. What truly matters is that you grasp and comprehend how much God loves you. Because when you do that, you can stop trying to love God because it flows through you. 
Because his love, when you comprehend his love and the kingdom in which you dwell, which is a kingdom of his love given to you, when you grasp that, you can stop trying to love him because it'll come naturally. And you don't rest on your love for him. You rest on his love for you. You know, and people will often come back to where the Pharisees asked Jesus and said, what are the two greatest commandments? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, might, soul. Do you know what Jesus is describing there? He's describing the law. And that is the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's describing the law. You and I are not under the law because Jesus Christ has completely fulfilled the law. In the new kingdom, in the kingdom of his love, in the kingdom of grace, we don't need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. I want to ask you a question. Can you love him with everything? All your might, all the time? No, that's why we need Jesus, because he came and he did that for us. And so what we do is we rest in Jesus' love for us. How much easier is it for us to comprehend and try and grasp and grow every day in his love for us rather than striving to love him in every moment of every day? That's hard work, isn't it? You know, Nat, just block your ears for a second. I love my wife desperately, but I must confess there are moments when I'm probably not loving her with all of my heart and all of my soul. You know, there's probably moments when I kind of get grumpy at her. There's probably moments when I just want to go, I'm just going to have some space by myself. It's probably... It's probably me. There's probably no one else out here who loves their spouse like that. It's, pro- it's definitely not Nat. She would never do that to me. But it's true, isn't it? It's hard to love someone with everything you've got. And that is why Jesus came. And that is the kingdom that we've got where Jesus literally loved us with everything that he's got, with everything that he has And we have to change our minds, renew our minds and stop trying to love him with everything we've got and start resting on his love for us. And that is transformative. That changes us because we can stop trying and striving and feeling condemnation and guilt when we don't get it right. And when we get it wrong, we go, do you know what? I am so thankful, Jesus, that you love me. And you've loved me with everything you've got. I'm so thankful that you've delivered me from that place where there was condemnation, where there was power in the kingdom of darkness. And you've conveyed me into the kingdom of love where I just rest on your love for me. How good is that? Remember, there is power in the kingdom of darkness but it has no power or authority over you for you are now in the kingdom of the Father's Son of His love and rest in that. I've spoken far more about that than what I was intending to. I got a little bit carried away. It must have been the coffee that uh, Josh and Sophie brought me this morning. I did say I'll get carried away because I'll be buzzing because of it. So uh, you might need to stop me early. 
but it's good that we have been conveyed, taken from that place where there was power and authority over us and put into the kingdom of his son, of his love. That is awesome. In verse 14 it says, In whom, and we have to ask in whom, who that is, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see, in Jesus, who is the son of love, in Jesus, we, not only has he conveyed us from the power of darkness and put us into his kingdom, into the kingdom of love, but in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. By the shedding of his blood, we are forgiven. By the shedding of his blood, we have been redeemed by what he has done. And let's look at at who the he is. Because it's going to describe in great detail now in who the person who redeemed us actually is. And so if we read from verse 15, it says, He, and this is being Jesus, He is the image of... Of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I want to leave that verse there because I'm going to come back to it. Carrying on, verse 16. For by him, by who? By Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth. For by, get this, for by him all things were created. Try and comprehend that. Everything in the cosmos, everything in the world. All the planets, all the stars, all of humanity, all of creation. For by him, all things were created. This is the one who redeemed us. I often look at this and, and I try to comprehend it. And I love my superheroes. My kids can attest to that. Uh, you know, my favorite superhero uh, is Aquaman. And I think that he's, you know, the, the best superhero. And yet when I try and and link superheroes to Jesus, they pale in their comparison. They pale in their comparison because even they, with their superpowers, have to work within the created world. Don't they? Even in the creation of the minds of the people who developed the superheroes, they had to develop them in the context of the physical world of whom Jesus created. Jesus is so far superior than anything we can actually imagine because by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So not only did he create, was all things created for him, for, uh, by him, but it was through him and also created for him. And then the very next verse says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Which means that if anything is outside of him, it doesn't actually exist. Nothing exists without him. All glory, all goodness, all creativity, all creation, all creative powers have been given to us by him. He created it all. That is who he is. 
That is who the one in verse 14 in whom we have redemption through his blood. That is the one who shed his blood. The creator of all things. The one who stands above everything else. The one that created everything. You see, he looked down in the midst of his creation and he saw the disease of sin and death. And he saw our hopelessness. And he saw that we could do nothing in the midst of it. And so the one who created all, the one who has held everything together, he lowered himself to become one of the creations that he made. He lowered himself to enter into our humanness, into our suffering. The one who created everything lowered himself, not grasping his very presence or his status, that of God, but he lowered himself and became one of his creations, became human, born in a dirty shed filled with animals. As a refugee who became homeless, who was falsely accused, whose all of his friends and everyone left him, who was beaten beyond the image of human likeness, to die the most painful death possible and imaginable, so that you could become part of his family. So that you could be taken from out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of love. So that you could become a child of God. Verse 22 says, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The one who created all. The one who was above all entered into our human suffering, entered into our depravity to redeem us, to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. So that when the accuser comes before our heavenly father and when the accuser stands there and says, Look at this one. He's broken all of your holy laws. Look at what he's doing. He's not worthy to be called one of yours. The father responds and says, no, 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 you're mistaken. This one is holy. This one is blameless. This one is above reproach because of the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And do you know what? The accuser has no power and no authority over that. Because you are holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And when the accuser comes to you and whispers in your ear and says, Grant, you think you're worthy to belong to the kingdom of God. You think you're worthy to be forgiven. Look at what you've just done. Do you know what our response is to be? No, 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 you're mistaken. I'm holy and I'm blameless and I'm above reproach because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. 
You have no power or authority over me. You cannot bring condemnation to me because Jesus Christ has borne that condemnation for me. Jesus Christ has paid the debt of my sin. If through his blood I am forgiven by the laying down of his life, I am holy and blameless and above reproach away from me, Satan. That's who we are. That's what Jesus coming in flesh and laying down his life and dying for us means. That is why the kingdom of darkness has no power or authority over us anymore because Jesus has completely conquered it and has given that power and authority of the kingdom of his love to us. The accuser has no power to answer when we respond to the promises of Jesus by his blood, by the laying down of his life, we are above condemnation. We are holy and blameless and above reproach. I want you to take those three words this week. I want you to remember those words this week so that no matter what is going on, when, when you feel condemned, your response is, no, 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 I'm mistaken, I'm not condemned because Jesus bought that condemnation and he gave me his holiness and he gave me his blamelessness and he has made me above reproach and he has redeemed me and he has forgiven my sins and he has given me his peace. That is what Jesus, the one who created everything, who entered into our condemnation and conquered it, has done for you and I. That's what he did when he conveyed us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his son, of his love. The life of the creator who spoke all into being, who through him was created and for him, he laid down your life, shed his blood. It cost him everything. I don't want you to fool yourself into thinking, as lots of people, as lots of Christians do, that yes, he's laid down his life and yes, there's, I'm blessed completely, but I don't want to be selfish and I don't want to walk in all of those blessings. That's not why Jesus laid down his life. You know, coming back to the kingdom of righteousness or the resort of righteousness, we've talked about how lots of Christians, they believe in Jesus Christ, but they've still got the prison mentality. They, they don't enter, take, go out of the room and enjoy all the goodness that they have in that resort. In the same way, people in Jesus Christ have to understand all the blessings that have been given to us. He wants us to enjoy. It cost him everything. And he wouldn't have allowed that to cost him so much if he didn't want you to enjoy all of the blessings. Does that make sense? He laid down his life shed his blood, allowed his body to be broken, bore a crown of thorns on his head, pierced hands and feet, spear into his side, so that everything that he earned, everything that he bought, you could enjoy by faith, because he made you more than conquerors. It is not humility to think, yes, I'm saved by grace, but... Do you know what? I don't want to draw upon all the other things that he's given me. No, 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 no. Call upon it. Walk in it. 
for that is what Jesus wants of you. He, met, he came down into our depravity. He came down into our condemnation to deliver us from it. Walk in his deliverance. In whatever situation you find yourself, Jesus has already met that need for you. Proclaim it and grow in it and look to Jesus as the redeemer of that situation and allow him to minister in you and through you in the midst of that situation. Don't try and do it by yourself. We can't. And he loves being the one to be able to enter into our situation and redeem us from it. And he shed his blood for you to do that. Romans 8 verse 32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, it cost the father the thing that he most dearly loved. It cost him his son, Jesus Christ, to bring deliverance to us. And if he did not spare his son, but gave the thing that was most precious to him for our deliverance, for our forgiveness of sins, He's not going to hold anything else back from you. You know, in the same way, if I give my kids presents, you know, let's say I give them a a cubby house with multiple rooms, you know, I don't want them just to sit back and play around it. I get enjoyment by them utilising the gift, by enjoying the gift, by exploring the gift, by knowing the gift, by playing with the gift. In the same way, the Father has given us all things. And he wants us to use them and access them and to walk in his blessings. Isaiah, sorry, Psalm, chapter 84, verse 11 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Who are those people who walk uprightly? Isn't it those who are blameless, who are holy, who are above reproach? Isn't that you and me in Jesus Christ? No good thing will he withhold from us. That's our Father in heaven. That's the goodness that he has for us. That is the kingdom of love in which we dwell when nothing is withheld from us. I want to go back to verse 15, which I said we would. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, our Redeemer, is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what the Father is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know the, understand the character of the Father, look to Jesus. If you want to grasp who the Father is, go back and explore the Gospels. And in order to do that, I want to look at two stories this morning of Jesus. Two stories as laid out in the Gospels. The first one is found in John 2. It's where Jesus turned water into wine, his very first miracle. It's a miracle that I didn't truly comprehend for some time. I still don't think I truly comprehend it. But it helped me to understand what was going on when I could understand Jewish culture a little bit more. And so in Jewish culture, 
when a father or when husband and wife have a, a baby girl, it is expected that every year the father will put away a barrel of wine and store a barrel of wine so that when his daughter is going to get married, there can be a big celebration. And the celebration can last a week. And so they're going to need lots of wine, are they not? And so come the celebration, uh, the daughter would get married sometimes as early as 14 through to whatever. So there's multiple barrels, big barrels of wine that have been stored from the first year that his daughter was born. And if the family runs out of wine, do you know what all of the guests are thinking? Gee, they didn't really anticipate this, did they? They didn't really love their daughter enough to put away the wine. Their judgment and condemnation is brought upon the family. Judgment and condemnation is looked... The, the people who are getting married are looked down upon. The family of the, of the husband who, or the guy who is getting married and entering into the relationship, they look down upon the wife's family, upon the bride's family. And so what is happening here, and there's other levels, but I just want to look at this level at this point of this miracle. When Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, they've run out of wine, what she's saying is, hey, this family is going to have condemnation and judgment passed upon them. People are going to be looking down upon them. And when Jesus turned the water into wine and they took the, that new wine over to the master of ceremonies who tasted it. Do you know what he said? He said, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Most people bring out the good wine at the beginning when everyone's taste buds can taste how good it is. You have saved the best till last. Jesus turned this situation of condemnation and judgment around into a situation where people are looking and going, you must love your daughter so much that you have brought out the best till now. You've saved the best till now and take, cast out the judgment and the condemnation and brought in this concept of love and lifting the family up. That's what Jesus does. That is a glimpse of the Father when he sent his Son into our world where he cast out judgment and condemnation and said, no, 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 these are mine, they're loved. That's, a, that's the characteristic of our Father that we see right there in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It brings that miracle alive a little bit more, doesn't it? When we understand what Jesus is actually doing. And how he he's saying, I'm not going to allow thee. My time, he says, my time has not yet come. And then he does it anyway because he cannot stand to see judgment and condemnation brought upon the family, upon the families. And he says, I can't allow that. I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to enter into their need and into their situation and ensure I meet it so that they are not judged. And what was going to be a bad outcome, I'm going to make it a blessing for them and goodness, and lift it up. There's, an, there's the character of our Father right there. The second story I want to tell you is found in Mark chapter 1, where a leper comes to Jesus, and he gets down before Jesus, and he says, if you are will, willing, you can make me whole. If you are willing, you can heal me. 
And again, I want to paint a bit of a story and a bit of a picture. You see, when someone was diagnosed with leprosy in those days, it wasn't just the physical disease, that was almost the least of their worries. When they were diagnosed with leprosy, they were cast out of society. They were cast out of community. They were cast out of their family. Never to have physical contact with anyone else. Never to be in community with people. Never to know the intimacy and the love of others. They were cast out and isolated. Psychology today has proven that most mental illness occurs when people are withdrawn or cast out of relationships because our physical needs, we so desperately need relationships to be a part of our life. We so desperately need the physical touch of another. And when you are diagnosed with leprosy, you are cast out of society completely. You are cast out of any relationship. You are isolated And if you even dared to try and come back into society or be seen in the cities or the towns, you were beaten and potentially put to death. You were completely judged. And here this leper would have taken all of his courage, would it not, to come up to Jesus knowing the consequences. And he says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus could have just said, I am willing. But scripture says Jesus reached out and touched the man. And the word touch is not just a physical touch. It's more like an embrace. Jesus embraced the man. This man who'd been condemned to no physical touch. This man who'd been cast out. Jesus reaches out and grasps him and holds him. And he says, I am willing. He says, By his physical approach, by grasping him, what he's saying is, I'm not only willing to heal you of your leprosy, but I'm going to embrace you and hold you. I'm going to give you the physical touch and the physical connection that you so desperately need and long for. When the Father sent his Son into our situation, he embraced us and drew us into his family that he knew we so desperately needed. You know, in verse 22, sorry, verse 21, it says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, that's when he met us. That's when he embraced us. That's when he reached out and grabbed us. That's when he cuddled us. And that is when he reconciled us. When we were dead set against him, he entered in. And he says, I want you a part of my family because you desperately need it. And you you were made for my companionship. And I'm going to reach out and I'm going to embrace you. There's the characteristic. That's the image of our Father in heaven. It's good, isn't it? That's good. Remember that when Jesus remember that Jesus said when you pray in my name ask for anything and it will be given to you. In whose name do we pray? 
in the name of the Creator, in the name of the one by whom all things were created, in the name of the one through whom all things were created, in the name of the one for whom all things were created, in the name of the one who came and brought you out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the power of darkness, and brought you into the kingdom of love, in the name by whom made you holy and blameless and above reproach, who redeemed you and brought your forgiveness of sins. By his name we pray. By his name we pray. By the name who has made us more than conquerors, we ask. By the powerful name of Jesus Christ, he is the one who redeems us. He is the one who says, ask of me anything in my name and I will give it to you because I'm going to meet you in your needs, because I want to bless you, because I've laid down my life for you and I want you to walk in my blessings. How good is our redemption? How good is our Saviour? How good is our Messiah? How good is our Heavenly Father? Remember this week as you go, you are holy and blameless and above reproach, that your sins are forgiven, that you've been redeemed, that you've been taken out from the power and authority from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of his love, that he's embraced you and he loves you so desperately. Remember that this week. And when someone tries to accuse you, when the accuser comes along and whispers in your ear, your response is, no, I'm holy and blameless and above reproach by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I want to pray in his name, in the name of our Redeemer, I pray your blessing upon the people here this morning. I pray that they will walk in your gifts, in your grace, that they will draw upon your salvation in every aspect of their life this week. I pray that they will remember that every time that they feel condemned, that they will look to Jesus Christ and say, oh, there is no condemnation in him, that there is no accusation that can come against me, that has any power against me because of the blood of Jesus Christ. May we rise up as we look towards Jesus in our understanding and may our faith grow from faith to faith in him as we rest upon your love for us. May your love and your light of your kingdom flow through us and be a blessing to those around us. Jesus, by your holy and precious name, I ask that any need of anyone who is here this morning will be met and then some. The blessing will flow, not because of what they do or have done, but because of by the blood of Jesus they have made, been made righteous. By the blood of Jesus, your grace flows to them. By the laying down of your body, they are healed. Lord Jesus, may we stand in your truth this week and grow in our faith. In your precious and holy name, we pray. Amen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Amen.